Coffee Carmen Connection is about being human. It's about you choosing to prioritize your well-being, putting the time in to strengthen your resilience to adversity, and being part of a community that holds you accountable and offers support when the going gets tough. Our podcasts bring expert insight and real-life experiences together for you to enjoy and learn what it is that makes us human and how to work with it. Good morning, Ricky. Thank you so much for joining me on this very sunny, very warm Monday morning. Uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, I think we're going to have a really great conversation. I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Fabulous. So for people listening, uh, we've got a, a, a relatively specific topic that we're going to chat about today, which you've got some really um, interesting insight and first-hand experience, Ricky. So if I introduce the topic as um, discovering uh, and, uh, and hiding uh, one's identity and the emotional impact of... Um, I think that can cover a huge um, number of people and uh, experiences and uh, traits, but we're going to talk particularly around your experience today. So I wonder if you want to give us a bit of background, Ricky, into into who Ricky is and, and what your experiences are. Yeah, I, the, uh, and the simple thing is I, I'm transgender. Um, <clears throat> now, I'm using the term transgender because that's the easy term that most people understand um, as a sort of system. A community, the LGBT community, has spent um, uh, most of the past 10 years inventing a whole range of new labels. I think Facebook got to 71, um, and I checked those out, and they'd missed loads. So, <laughs> so we, we have, and, and so this is, we're, we're talking about identity and people struggling with an identity that doesn't fit comfortably into a very binary world. Uh, and as a consequence, um, we get bullied. Um, we get, you know, verbally bullied, physically bullied. Uh, and in some countries, you know, being transgender means that your your life's constantly at risk. About 300 trans people are recorded to have been brutally murdered every year simply because they're trans. So, so we deal with that. And I, I, <clears throat> I think this fear of being humiliated, the fear of... Uh, of of being made a fool of uh, is our is a bit of shame. I think is you know is is what what we're talking about, and and that fear of being shamed publicly forces trans, gay, and lesbian lots and lots of people are forced to hide who they really are. They can't bring their true selves to work. Completely try to hide it and use all sorts of strategies to cover who they really are, um, and it's a very difficult process. And yeah, you know, the impact it has on our mental health is absolutely huge. The impact. Um, I was reading something uh, in a, a, um, a psychology uh, uh, um, article. Yeah. The impact of hiding oneself, one's true identity, is huge yeah. in terms of emotional and mental health. How has it affected you? <coughs> um, so I was pretty much terrified to come out I, I first there were first indications that I was trans uh, happened when I was literally six years old um, and that was simply the teacher at the school that I was at I noticed I didn't seem to get on with children of my own age and I was referred to a child psychiatrist who assessed me and said oh um, <clears throat> he's a couple of years ahead of his age mentally so I was put up a year at school but they really misdiagnosed it and, and I'm quite glad they did 
Um, I'll explain in a minute. Um, because what they were seeing wasn't that I didn't get on with children of my own age. It was that I didn't get on with boys of my own age. Uh, I was okay with older boys, but I also was okay with girls. Uh, but the problem is back then, we're talking about in the 1950s, 56, 7, um, <clears throat> there was a huge separation between boys and girls, far more than it is now. I mean, literally, separate entrances into the school for, for primary schools, boys' entrance, girls' entrance. And activities, everything was segregated by boys and girls. Um, boys did one thing, girls did something else. And uh, through most of my life, I, I experienced that sense that, you know, if you were a boy, these were the rules. If you were a girl, those were the rules. And they're still there, um, but they were they were almost like institutionalized at that stage. It was mm. almost accepted that that was the way things were. And uh, and so feeling as a boy that actually I should be a girl, and that sort of happened a few years later. I wasn't really aware of it, but I. If people had looked, they'd have noticed I preferred girls' comics and I liked girls' things. I was in a you know, family of four kids and there's only five years between us. So we were quite a close family, two boys, two girls. So it was the uh, the perfect kind of fa family. But the challenge happened uh, a about a couple of years later. I was at, uh, I had to go to another school uh, in another county and they'd put me back down a year. So I really wasn't getting on with uh, school then. And... Um, there was a friend there, a young kid, a, a, um, part of a really big family, 11 kids. Uh, and the problem with being a, in a relatively impoverished family of 11 kids is you end up with um, clothes that are handed down all the time, which is OK unless you're a boy and most of your older siblings are girls, which is uh, his problem. So he'd come to school in a pair of girls' uh, knickers, got changed for cross-country running. Some One of the boys spotted it. And oh, they just piled in like a scene out of Lord of the Flies. Um, humiliating, jeering, shouting, laughing. Um, and I'm standing there thinking, oh, my God, um, <clears throat> I, I, I couldn't possibly help him because if I did, that would actually bring all that uh, onto me. But I just remembered that. I thought no one can ever know. I can't tell my mum, my dad, the teachers, friends. No, no one can ever know that I wish I was a girl, that I like wearing girls clothes. And that just became something I had to hide. And it, it, it isolated me for the rest of my life. I, 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 I couldn't become part of groups because um, I wanted to be off doing my own thing. I, if, if, if I could have been accepted as a girl, it would have been fine. I would have had some girlfriends. But all the time the girls saw me as a boy and therefore there were these rules about engagement. When you, you know, Even at that age, there's still... You know, boys can't play girls' games. If you play with a doll, you're called a sissy. So there's all sorts of really, really awful um, enforcement that goes into making sure that we conform to the gender rules. I think... I think that must have been incredibly hard, particularly in the 50s and 60s, because where we are now is a whole world away from where we were then in terms of acceptance and understanding of mental health and people and, and identity. So that must have been incredibly hard. And also, that is a really pivotal lesson to learn very early on. I cannot be who I, yeah, yeah. Who I want to be. How how how's that? How do you think that has impacted you on your sort of teens, early twenties, and 
and brought you to where you are, where you sort of felt able to go, actually, I am who I am? Um, I, I kept that secret until I was about to get married. Um, and um, I, at that stage, I, I'd secretly crossed dress, but uh, nobody knew, and I, I'd had to do things to try and stop it from happening because I was just terrified that I was going to get caught. Um, and and I knew that what happened if you if you got caught being trans, um, the chances were you're going to end up in the papers somewhere. Yeah, there, there would be all sorts of you know really silly headlines. Um, and, and I, but I I was really worried about going into a marriage, and and that being um, a secret. Um, so I decided to uh, to tell my uh, now ex partner. Um, and, and she was actually okay to start with and thought it was fine. I even, you know, thought the whole idea of um, cross-dressing was actually a little bit of fun. But it was one of those things that, yeah, it's fun, but it's private fun. <laughs> Nobody else can know. Uh, and certainly parents couldn't know. And the kids couldn't, you know, as the, once the kids came along, oh, no, we don't, don't want to. So that's the problem that happens. That you, you can do something which actually plays into, yeah, into a relationship and you can make it work. Um, but immediately you then face with the same problem. It's all about shame. Um, if I go out, if people find out about that, not only am I shamed, but everybody around me is shamed. When a trans person comes out, they don't just out themselves, they out the family, they out everybody who's connected. And therefore, yeah, around half the people I knew when I did come out, which wasn't until I was in my 50s, um, back away they, they just think no no i don't i don't want that i don't i don't want to have to explain <clears throat> that i have a brother who's now you know uh, trying to be my sister and and you know it 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 it, it really put a huge you know pr amount of pressure uh some of my kids don't like it you know some of my uh, siblings weren't very comfortable uh how has it, are those relationships able to have, have, have no. got over and, and be, or, or has it sort of really genuinely ended some oh, family ended relationships? Some relationships. I, I, I mean, there's, yeah, there's no real relationship there. They exist. If I contact, there'll be contact, but the, the, there's never contact coming the other way. <coughs> um, I don't particularly want to name who they are, but, you know, part, part, no, you no, know some of members course. of my family, mostly male. Uh, have a problem. Um, I, I told my mother she had cancer, and I was, and I thought I, I I thought she knew. I thought along my life as a child she'd picked up things because there were odd things that had happened, um, and I, uh, I I told her, and she said, "Oh, oh right," and that was it. End of conversation. We never spoke about it again. Um, she died a couple of, a few years later, uh, and then I came out. Uh, I didn't actually come out until after she. Uh, died. It wasn't the reason, but it's happened. So I told my uh, my sisters, um, and I said, "Oh, look, I need to explain. I'm transgender." They said, "Oh, yeah, we knew." So uh, how do you mean you knew? Yeah, well, Mum told us. So the conversation had been had with other members of my family about you know what this is about, but the conversation had never been had with me. So, so that's what happens. This. Yeah, it's like it's too uncomfortable to even talk about. And that's 
that's really difficult because it's cyclical, yeah. isn't it? The shame cycle. And, and, and so you never kind of get out of it. To, to get out of it takes, I don't know what, some sort of event that is huge. And actually that, I'm, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm supposing here, but your mother's generation perhaps would have found it even harder to talk about. So maybe her outlet was to talk to siblings, oh. which cannot have made you feel very nice. No, no. Well, I mean, bear in mind, I'd grown up with homosexuality being illegal. Yeah. Um, I was 17 before it was decriminalised, but that didn't actually stop the problem. The, the, it was well, um, if, to be honest, it was the 90s um, before we actually started to see any real changes because what happened after decriminalisation, it was only made legal for consenting male adults over the age of 21 and in private. And the courts interpreted in private as no one else in the building. So even going into a hotel with a gay partner and going into a room was illegal. And the wow. courts, you know, so the, the hotels would, you know, allow it to happen and then phone the police and that's it. Then they'd come and... Well, it wasn't but, until, was it 2010 where it was um, uh, legal to actually get married? Marriage was, was two, uh, 2013, because we'd had civil, civil partnerships in 20, 2004. That was it. The period from about 1999 to, to 2010 was the biggest period of change. And, and I think when, when Tony Blair's New Labour came in, they came in with a platform to say we're going to totally change attitudes to protected characteristics, to disability to religion everything and that was not without its challenges because obviously some religions have a real problem with um, uh, sexuality and that had to be dealt with so what we saw was this really incredible change and that was literally the point I came out um, as all those changes were happening it became illegal to sack someone because they were trans in 99 so um I I decided to come out because yeah, a few things had happened. I was in a relationship with, that was had broken up. Um, I'd had a bit of a problem with tax and um, lost my house uh, and a few other things. So the company I'd been doing a lot, lot of work for got taken over and cancelled the programme that I was basically running. So all of a sudden, yeah, I had yeah, work had dropped, uh, relationships had gone, house had gone. Uh, and I was on my own, and for the first time in in, in 30 years, um, thinking, I've got nothing to stop me right now from coming out. There's no reason. I was well known. Um, I wrote for a lot of financial services press. I was a you know, top speaker. I'd set up the financial services, the professional speaking association. Uh, and I was a master of a Freemason's Lodge. So there were a whole bunch of things which weren't going to fit. But I decided 2002, I, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm coming out, uh, I'm going to do it. And uh, it was, initially I thought it wasn't going to be as bad as I thought it might be. It turned out it was worse than I thought it might be. Uh, but um, there, there's something strange, even though my business fell off the cliff, nobody wanted to book me, everything became really uh, quite tough. At the same time, I was being me and I, I went I'd gone to a conference in America and um, somebody I'd known quite well but didn't know I was trans and we started having a conversation she suddenly 
registered and she wrote an article she said the highlight of my conference was meeting Ricky Arundel it wasn't the you know incredible transformation from Richard to Ricky it was the fact that she simply sparkled as a human being and I thought, wow what a lovely thing for someone to write and uh, and a couple of other people had made similar um, comments yeah fa one family member had said oh my god you I've just never expected this uh, but you were a stuffy old businessman now. Well, you're really cool. <laughs> wow. And so uh, you don't realise how much you're hiding. Um, and this was it. I had to perform um, the role of Richard. It wasn't a natural thing for me to do. Um, and it's only now I look back and see, um, actually, I, I wasn't doing very well with it. Um, yeah. It was stopping relationships. It was isolating me and making me feel lonely. So most of my life, I, I was it, it having to hide who you really are isolates you. And isolation as a as a um, social being is one of the most detrimental yeah. things you can do. Do you know what broke my heart the other day? So my middle daughter is um, nine, and she's um, she's on the ASD spectrum okay. so she's got a diagnosis um, and she said to me the other day um, I have I can't remember her exact words but it was along the lines of if I want to have friends I have to hide who I am I have to be a different person oh, yeah. and she and she said those words as we, she was going to bed one night and I thought because she is quirky and wonderful and incredibly intense yeah. um, but she has to take all of those little characteristics and quirks that make her... She just has to hide them because she's she's not um, conformist otherwise. Yeah. She doesn't fit the box that she should be in. And it, it, it broke my heart because I think whether, whether you are, um, I don't know, um, transgender or, or um, whether you're uh, sexual orientation, whether you are trying to hide a particular trait you don't like, uh, autism, or, or yeah, yeah. no, autism isn't a trait, but, um, you know, uh, or a chronic shyness or whatever it might be, that that need to be a different person is incredibly hard. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, 43% of, um, of LGBT people are too afraid to come out at work and tell people who they are today. Despite the Equality Act and years into it now, uh, and I think the last ten years um, since um, it's really since Brexit, since about that time, we've 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 had this quite awful polarisation um, taking place, um, where it's almost as if Brexit gave permission for people to be um, non-peace, you know, to, to to be discriminatory. Um, all of a sudden people were allowed to say things online um, and they weren't being challenged. Uh, and that's you know, spread into all sorts of areas, racism, um, you know, disabilism, all those uh, isms suddenly have surfaced. Um, and, and we think it's all been under, uh, all under wraps. I, I did a workshop for a quite um, well-known uh, um, boys' school, public school, and I, I used on, on the presentation a product called AHA Slides, which enables the audience to just use their mobile phones to ask questions. So I thought we could, but 
you can do it anonymously or you can you know put your name in it doesn't really matter and i allowed them to just do it all the way through well when i looked at the questions i realized i'd made a mistake um because some of those boys it was a small subset of them um but between them they managed to ask a couple of hundred very offensive uh, and largely homophobic or transphobic uh, related questions they were asking questions that were very embarrassing on behalf of somebody else that they wanted to bully things like that and i suddenly realized that given the opportunity to do something that nobody knows who did it um all of that undercurrent of discrimination still there it's just bubbling under do the you, surface do you know what um i've got a, uh, uh my eldest daughter's uh just going into teenage years yeah. with mobile phones right and i think they are toxic um and i and this is my experience don't necessarily think it's the discrimination around isms i think it's um almost blanket i'm looking for a reason to offend oh yeah yeah um so, so, you know, whether it is racism or misogynistic comments or, or whatever, or whether it's just, I don't know, you've got ginger hair and I don't like yeah. it, or you're porky, or you're, um, there is, there is, there is an element through that is coming, I think, that is all about, um, Oh, there's two things, right? I've got two things, and I wonder what you think about this. So one thing is the anonymization of, of online given too young is a problem. And Mike Tyson said something. I saw a thing on Facebook, which I thought was brilliant. Way too many people are getting used to saying way too much stuff without being punched in the face, <laughs> right? Because old school, if you'd said something that offensive to someone's face, yeah. you'd, have, you know, you'd have ended up in a scrap. But, but we're too almost politically correct now to, to to say boo to say no that's not acceptable and you add anonymization into that and people just go for the jugular all the time and one of my worries um that that has been asked of me with coffee calm connection is i'm putting myself out there as a working mum of three kids juggling too many balls and you know dropping most of them a lot of the time there will be people that pick up on that. I'm not a good enough mum or yeah, I'm, yeah, whatever yeah. it might be. And, and, yeah. and am I prepared for that? And I don't think I am. Um, but, but, you know, that's a conversation that I've had. So the anonymization of social media, I think, is a really big thing. There's another thing that worries me, and that is this idea that, um, that it, it's taking away what I'm intending and putting it on what you're feeling so I might say something to you or my husband or you know the man in the street that you find offensive but I haven't intended it to be offensive um and it might be I've got a term wrong or, or something like that and I um and that's really difficult if the world is judged on the subjective whether or not I'm offended rather than what the person actually intended I think that's quite difficult I think there needs to be there needs to be education around self-awareness, you know, understanding your, your... So if my daughter makes a joke that actually would be funny coming from my husband, but from her it's just obnoxious, she hasn't recognised her audience, right? So she's got learning and, and to, to do. But, um, but there might be a circumstance where, it, you know... It's very, very sensitive to be offended by something. I'm talking about me. Like I was driving the other day and my daughter touched my underarm. 
And I said, what are you doing? And she went, mummy, it's like a big sack of fat. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, okay, let's discuss what's appropriate and what's not. She wasn't intending to be offensive. She just needed a little bit of education. And my response could have been, you know, really, really sensitive. And, and, or it, I could have used it as a, that's really not okay and this is why. Do, do you understand what no, I mean? No, I'm not, not being true. very articulate. But those two things together, I think, are building a really toxic and scary environment for the younger generations because they're not learning through social communication in a way that there, we there did. Are some, uh, we, could prob we could probably have a whole different, a whole new <laughs> interview just, just on, on that. Um, and maybe yeah, we should. Uh, I mean... The first thing, when when I came out, um, I discovered that there were some online forums. This was before social media had really started, because back in the 90s, uh, I was very, very active. I wrote a book on how to use the Internet in 1998, so I was very, very yeah, early adopter uh, of technology. And there were lots of different forums around um, that you could join as the Internet evolved. Um, and of course, you could be anonymous. So I could go on there and have a picture of me um, that wouldn't necessarily be of me. I could take a picture of a of, of, of a woman or a picture of yeah that that I'd had done one day when I'd had a really good makeover and spent a fortune on you know, looking good. So you could make yourself look very good, or you could use other pictures. So the point is, nobody knew who they were talking to. They were talking to someone. I could be behind the mask, whoever I wanted to be, uh, and that enabled me to get out and talk and actually without risking being outed because I was now anonymous. Yep. And that was a very positive thing. Um, it's got now, and, and there's still a lot of people do anonymous work on forums and, and social media. And with, although Facebook says you've got to have you know, a legitimate profile with your own name, of course, I have yeah. one that isn't my own name, so it's easy to, to set up. <clears throat> I think what we've seen that's where this has gone the wrong way now is that people are hiding behind that mask in order to be offensive in order to and all they're trying to do is create activity um now sometimes it's because they've got an agenda that they want to try and promote and we've got this with some people who are calling themselves gender critical feminists uh the trans community call them turfs trans exclusionary radical feminists uh wasn't yeah, it was a term even devised by somebody else. Anyway, And these are people who have an objection to anybody who was male identifying as female because their attitude is all men are rapists. Therefore, if you change gender, you're still a rapist just trying to invade female space. That's it's a pretty toxic argument. Um, and they've got one or two Terrific. examples of some pretty nasty trans people who've ended up in prison, who have abused women. There are millions of trans people. The chances of there not being some nasty ones amongst it, very low. Um, and, of course, they get into the press. Boom, that's it. And it's very easy to take a couple of examples, a couple of nasty stories, and then present them saying, this is all trans people. Now, what I found was I would engage in a conversation online. Somebody started something that was a bit negative towards trans people. I said, no, that's not because I... 
I teach trans stuff. I'm, I'm talking all the time about it. I've got a, a master's degree, basically, in uh, in studying trans um, identities and, and coping strategies. So I try to tackle it. And next thing I know, I've got 20 or 30 people attacking me with all of these pre-prepared statements and comments. And I suddenly began to realise now that these people are not looking for a debate, are not looking to discuss things in any way positive. They have an agenda. They want to push that agenda and push that agenda. They will pop things out which are antagonistic in the hope that somebody will bite and respond. The moment they do, it's hashtagged. So everybody following that hashtag jumps in and you've got a debate. Now, the thing about Twitter is Except that it's not a debate, it's a toxic, exactly. antagonistic a bullying campaign. Bullying campaign. The only, and I don't know if you've ever seen the film War Games, it's an 80s film about a little boy who accidentally uh, hacks into the uh, um, American uh, nuclear uh, <laughs> system and it's all been put on and, and activates <laughs> an unstoppable uh, process which will lead to thermonuclear war. And they're trying to persuade this computer not to follow its its protocol. It's just a, a huge, hugely funny idea. Uh, and a, a, at one point, they give a game of tic-tac-toe, which you can't win. Um, and eventually the computer says, ah, strange game. Only way to win is not to play. And that's the answer. The only way to win is not to play. I'm trying to teach that to my daughter. The only, the, exactly that. The only way to win is not to play because at certain ages, children are still learning and they're finding out who they are if they've got an environment in which they can express that. They're finding out who they are um, and they're learning um, how to behave. And girls particularly at this age can be quite oh. brutal uh, because they haven't, they haven't got, I don't know what it is, but they can be quite brutal. And the anonymization of, of um, the phone makes it even worse. And I keep trying to say to Natalie, there are certain individuals that you will come across in life. You can't change them. You wouldn't want to. Your only thing you can control yeah. is how you Sorry. behave and feel about their actions. If it makes you unhappy, walk away. That's the only way to win. And one of the most toxic platforms that I have seen to date is Snapchat. Because gone, everything uh, and, yeah. goes. Yeah. <laughs> Apart, I, I tried to use Snapchat once and um, some, uh, somebody messaged me three minutes later I couldn't remember what they'd said and I thought god this isn't any good for people of my age like early onset Alzheimer's or you know I can't remember what's bloody been said but um but for her age it can be used as, as a as a hugely effective bullying campaign and one of the, the the things I didn't foresee about it was if if you have a snapchat account then anybody can say you've said something when you haven't yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's experienced that so she now doesn't have Snapchat. So I'd sort of thought about it in terms of actual what people say to you or what you can say to other people. But I hadn't thought about it in terms of a third party saying to a fourth party, so-and-so said this about you on Snapchat and I can't prove it, but believe me. So the whole, the whole thing is incredibly toxic. Just going back to something you said earlier, which I thought was really interesting and might be a really good... Um, I think we could talk for hours, Ricky, and I'm hoping you'll do another podcast with me because I, um, I think what you've got to say is incredibly uh, important. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned earlier was 
um, you yeah. teach on coping strategies. Now, can you can you give us a bit of an overview of some of the coping strategies that you found most effective? And I'm asking because I think it might be helpful to everybody, trans, not trans. Yeah, it's, you know. it's, it, uh, it's a whole different thing. I, I, did, I, I coped initially, um, as most trans people do, by occasional cross-dressing. Uh, and there are plenty of clubs around um, which are open. Uh, most most sort of gay gay clubs you can go into quite comfortably now. <clears throat> the tendency for trans people was to go to a, a club in a different um, uh, town. Um, but the fact is that if you've if you've done a good job on the makeup and yeah and and you're dressed up, if people aren't expecting to see you like that. Then it's like you know, if you meet somebody. I, I remember meeting uh, just some just some people I knew quite well. I just happened to meet them uh, about three hundred miles away from where they normally are in a ro in a roadside uh, cafe. Oh, I I reckon they said I'm thinking, God, who the hell are you? And I'd spoken to this person just a week before and didn't recognise them now in casual holiday clothes on their way to to Devon, where normally I would have seen them in in, in Luton. And so if some if somebody sees me. Um, yeah, and I'm all dressed up, big wig, makeup, and everything else. Yeah, no, very few people are going to think, "Oh my God, that's Ricky in drag." Um, that isn't going to. So, so you can. So that's one coping strategy: is you can get into a community. And I've had friends who quite literally live separate lives. In their social life, they were, um, you know, this gorgeous uh, femme fatale. Uh, in their, you know, normal life, um, they were, you know, Mark the kitchen fitter. So, uh, and the two never met. Um, just kept them cooked entirely separate. Wow. Um, I, I've known, you know, one trans. Oh, I've known a couple of trans women who have got married, never told their partners that they that they were trans. They completely moved into what we call stealth. So that's another coping strategy that you you transition you completely and totally transform yourself full facial surgery the whole lot so nobody's going to recognize you you're completely changed move to another town and even create new names new details whole new back history um and do everything you can to fill that history out and then just <coughs> emerge. both of those areas yeah. feel to me and i'm not a psychologist so i don't know so please tell me that they will have a whole world of emotional and mental difficulties that go with that because you're you're that's that's just pushing another side of yourself it is deep, because deep I mean, if, you, if you imagine I, I was talking to a gay yeah. friend the, the other day and he said people didn't realize you in, in the in the in the old days when yeah back before literally in the last century um sounds weird that now because <laughs> but if, if if you went to work and you you knew it was not okay to be out, you know people weren't you know didn't know you were gay or and a lot of I have a lot of gay friends who got married to to cover and in some ways I think I did um, got into marriage and the whole thing because that's a that's a really good coping strategy. It's a very good cover for being gay. Oh, oh they're married. They can't be gay. Uh, they, they're married. They can't be trans. Um, but it's all it's it's all in, so you live this secret life, but. The problem then is, and I find this, yeah, I, I joined amateur, I loved amateur dramatics. Um, 
one of the reasons I got involved in amateur dramatics is occasionally I would t turn up in work and I hadn't been able to remove the mascara or eyeliner uh, quite as well as I thought. So I got put on some stage, you're wearing eye makeup. Oh, oh it was a dress rehearsal for a <laughs> theatre show. And it was the way that I could, yeah, that was, a, that was it, it's okay for me to wear makeup as a man because, yeah, I had, uh, I was in theatre. And I did all sorts of things to try to cover and make sure, you know, where do, how was your weekend? Where did you go? That becomes a very, very difficult conversation if your partner's a male partner and you're male. Um, or if I've gone to a club and had a really good night out and I was performing in drag on a show. That, that, yeah, how do I tell somebody in the office what I did over the weekend? How do I not let, you know, the fact that I actually really enjoy getting up there and singing at a drag club or doing some, you know, you know racy poetry or whatever. I've had a really good weekend, really, really good time. I've been with some friends, had a really great time. Coming to work. And I now have to hide. and I can't discuss that or say anything. And I've got to watch everything I say in case I drop something in the conversation that's going to actually make them go, what, yeah. what, what, where we? And again, correct me if I'm wrong. These are covering strategies rather than coping strategies. Those are yes, you're right. They are they are covering, but it's it's ways in which people can cope by separating yeah. their lives into two. Um, um, I mean, the best coping strategy of all is to change gender, come out, and let everybody know. That is a coping strategy. Um, um, sorry, but you go. A terrifying yeah. one. Do you? If you could go back to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give your younger self? Oh, I've explored this question so many times. <laughs> and the, the problem is this, that in, in life at any stage, and this is, this is always the, the challenge with life, that if, if you're not having a good time at life, you might look back and think, oh God, I wish I'd done this, I wish I'd done that. But yeah, I actually have enjoyed my life and I've done some really good stuff. Um, I, I've had some very senior positions in jobs. I've uh, I've worked in marketing and technology. I've traveled all over the world, stayed in some of the best hotels as a speaker. Uh, and I've had, but you know, I've had some really tough times, um, having absolutely no money, no work, struggling to get by on benefits at times um, because I just could not, get through the barrier uh, of trying to get employed as a trans person um, or being trans and trying to get employed. Um, but I'm not sure I wouldn't want, have had, want to have had any of those experiences because in, in some cases, the times when it's been really tough have brought me down to earth. They actually made me see me and the, my life uh, as how it really is. Tackling and dealing with, you know, I went when I went to university to do my master's degree. I've always said that um, the idea behind that was that people wouldn't book me because I'm trans. So get a master's degree in the in the tradition, and then yeah, become an expert, and then people do book me because I'm trans. Um, and yeah, going to university was a great experience. Hadn't planned to go through student poverty, but okay, it just came with the deal. And yeah. And how um, ironic that you had to get a master's in 
who you are to be taken seriously. Yes. And who you are. Ah, yeah, but see, is that because I'm trans or is that because I'm now perceived to be a woman? Oh, there's a whole world that you could open up there. And, and that's the thing I learned when I very quickly, I thought I was being discriminated against because I'm trans. And bit by bit, I began to realise an enormous amount of the discrimination I was facing was because that's how people treat wow. women. And I was now being treated as a woman. And I was used to being a privileged white male Christian. And I just wasn't ready. And it's only now I begin to see, I think, what the hell's going on? And I see women's coping strategies with coping with how to work in a world where they're constantly put down, constantly humiliated, constantly made to feel secondary and thinking, oh, God. And, and the problem is that as a woman, you've grown up with that as the norm. It's only because I grew up with privilege as the norm and then lost it all and became female that I experience and see it much more clearly than most women do. Do you know what? I, I, I have not experienced that. And I, I work in a male-orientated, uh, so Coffee Calm Connection isn't, but my other, my other um, company is, uh, Male yeah. Dom Insurance Financial Services. Um, and I haven't experienced that level of discrimination. And I've always grown up, perhaps from a very privileged perspective of, you can be anyone you want to be. You can do anything you want to be. And I've had the support of my family behind me yeah, to yeah. do that. And that, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking for women generally. I'm speaking for myself. And I have not experienced that. And something my daughter said to me the other day, which did alarm me a little bit. She said, she learned in school that if you are a man and you go for a job, you will get paid more than if you are a woman that goes for the job. And I said to her, in your... In your you know, 12 years of life, give me an example where you have missed out because, you, and she's, you know, she's at a private school on a sports scholarship and she's uh, elite level gymnast and she's, you know, doing really well in all of her class. Give me an example where you have felt, and she couldn't, and, 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 and I can't see anything in her past where I think she would have done. So I, I think where, again, I think where we were in the 50s and where we are now is very, very different. And sometimes I worry that there are, there are pockets where um, discrimination is, is absolute. And I've got some friends that have, you know, sort of the 1950s housewife. I can't cook, so that would never work for me. But um, the, the 1950s housewife expectation, I've certainly got friends that have that. And equally, I've got friends that, uh, whose husband stays at home and does the childcare and they're the breadwinner. Um, and so I think there are pockets, but I don't think it's widespread manifest discrimination as it may have been sort of 40, 50 years ago in my experience. Right. I, I wasn't prepared for the everyday sexism um, that, um, that, that happened. People making, yeah, uh, I literally came out of a club, uh, out of a hotel, about to go to a club. I was looking, you know, I'd, was quite well um i'd scrubbed up well it was like it was i was out for a night out uh, and somebody suddenly walked up to him and said excuse me you have very nice breasts i would like to go to bed with you and i thought oh wow <laughs> i've had i've been 
Yeah, people walking. I learned, you know, women can't walk down a street past a load of bars on their own at 11 o'clock at night and not end up getting somebody trying to chat you up, which might be okay for a woman. But if they suddenly then find hear a male voice, now they've just humiliated themselves in front of their mates because they've been trying to chat up a tranny. Uh, trans, yeah, sorry, sorry, that's a, a, considered an offensive term, but that's their attitude. And that's where trans women end up in hospital because somebody then says, it's your fault that you look so good and and tricks me into. So there's a sense wow. that they've been tricked into it. So so I have learned that there are, you know, there are some men who behave in a way that I have to be very, very, very careful about and yeah. avoid it because uh, I will end up in a violent um, fight and, and, mm. and it happens. Um, there is still, I worked in financial services most of my life. Um, trying to get women promoted um, was the biggest battle I ever had. Tackling um, offensive you know, um, sexism by senior managers towards other women. Um, I, I was told once you know, when I tried to push it, um, this is a career limiting decision you're making to push this. I it, the, the guy was out, completely out of order. He got drunk. He started basically touching women up at a do. Yeah, he needs to be. Yeah, he needs to have record on his um, personal file yeah. to tell him that he's acted. That was wrong. Well, yeah, he's just, yeah, he's just John, and we just let this go. I thought, no, no, no. So, no. so I've seen through my life because of who I am behavior towards women that was inappropriate and when i changed gender um i started to experience it in a in a big way yeah. i also saw women not doing things you know people women often afraid to get up and speak in public and i began to realize that um tell you so I, I was walking down a road once before i changed gender and there was a very very attractive woman walking down the street uh, it was a sunny day. She was wearing a figure-hugging orange woolen dress that was only just slightly different to the colour of her skin, um, which made it look as if she was actually almost naked walking down the street. Um, I just happened to walk past her, and as I'm walking past her, I felt um, something really weird. And I thought, what the hell's that? And I looked around, and I suddenly realised that in every window in the offices, in the buses, cars, everywhere, every single man was looking at this woman, and it was like the energy. And it was a very uncomfortable energy. It, it was energy she seemed to be enjoying. She was walking along, smiling, and almost lapping it up. I sort of stood back and thought, whoa. Um, now, I've only ever experienced that feeling once when I was on stage speaking and, and forgot what I was supposed to be saying. And suddenly the audience turned from a smiling audience into a hot, you know, in my mind, it became a, a hostile audience. And you can feel that energy. Mm. You can feel the way people are going. And those are things which I did. I've done the same thing. I've dressed up in a way that basically got loads and loads of attention. Um, I stopped traffic in Dublin once. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I think yeah. the the most exciting my life has got is I was out for a run um, a while ago with the dog and I got beeped at by a white van and I was so utterly confused that I fell over flat on my face and the dog just sat there looking at me and I just thought, oh, Sarah, 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 Sarah. <laughs> 
Oh dear. Well, Ricky, I have really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you ever so much for My your pleasure. time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Your reviews, shares and followership is incredibly valuable to us. If you'd like to know more about our work through Coffee Calm and Connection and how we can support you, please email us at hello at coffeecalmconnection.org or follow us on social media. Thank you.